Welcome to the Every Gamer Podcast. I'm Nick Wells. And I am Skitch256, otherwise known as Ben. Mm-hmm. <laughs> AKA Skitch, AKA, AKA, AKA Ben, AKA Skitch. Skitch. On Twitch. Yeah, so today. Hello. During this podcast, yeah. we're going to be talking about gaming disorder. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. So. <laughs> pretty interesting stuff going on about this yeah, one um yeah. since you are the resident uh, expert um <laughs> i guess more expert on it than i would be mm-hmm. um start us off what is this about okay so um i can't remember exactly when it happened it was several weeks ago um uh, let's see it looks like in toward the end of may uh who who not the not the same. Not who. not the who. No, not. But the, the World Health uh, Organization. Organization. Yeah, they released something. Um, and the um, what is it called? I think it's called the ICD. Yeah, the International like Definition of Mental yeah. Health Disorders or whatever. Right. So there's a so the ICD is I think it's the ICD. I'm blanking on the exact um, abbreviation. But in America, we have something called the DSM, which is like the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. And it's something where it provides benchmarks that people have to reach in order to be diagnosed with a certain mental health disorder or behavioral or emotional disorder, right? So Mm -hmm. if I'm going to be diagnosed with major depression, I have to meet like six out of 12 of these requirements on the thing. So I have to like spend a certain amount of hours like feeling a certain way. I have to have a certain amount of disruption in my work. I have to display certain behaviors and I have to check off a certain amount of those out of the possible options for an extended period of time to be diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Uh, And if you're outside of the industry, you might think, well, that sounds like a lot of hoops to jump through. Why is it so complicated? And part of that's because you don't want to misdiagnose people. And official diagnoses are made by experts, like panels of experts. And when you're officially diagnosed with something through the DSM, depending on what it is, you can get treatment taken care of by insurance companies. So an insurance company is not going to prescribe medication or like not going to pay for medication or for treatment for I feel blue, right. I feel sad. Um, International Classification of Diseases is ICD, right? Mm-hmm. So the DSM is like the American version. ICD is it's international, right. right? And that includes not just mental and emotional or behavioral health. That also includes things like physical diseases. Sure. Kind of thing. So um, WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, they're working with the ICD, they created something called gaming disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a way to classify and diagnose uh, a gaming addiction, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's basically what's happening. It's created, created a lot of, uh, it's, been, it's been a topic of some controversy in the gaming community uh, since it came out. Right. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk about it today. So so starting off, what is the definition of gaming disorder? What classifies a gaming disorder? So I'm looking at John Jiao, uh, MD, on Twitter. And he says, an official diagnosis of video game addiction cannot be made without 12 continuous months of behavior that is sufficiently severe enough to significantly impair a person's personal, family, social, occupational functioning. Mm-hmm. So what he's clarifying is that, and I think he's doing a really good job of it, is that video game, uh, like game disorder is not about the number of hours you play. Right. It's not, I play 12 hours, so I'm addicted. Or I play four hours, so I'm addicted. It's saying, if you're playing a certain amount, 
for 12 months straight mm. that is negatively influencing your personal relationships, whether that be your family, your friends, uh, romantic relationships, uh, your work, your whatever your work is, if you're working at, at like if your your career or your college education, whatever those kind of things, if you're continually displaying those behaviors for twelve months, then you can be classified as having gaming disorder. Right. So it's the time about gaming in context to something else. So right. So not just gaming this amount of time, but is it affecting other aspects of your life? Like, are you shirking your uh, work responsibilities? Are exactly. you eating? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you having social interactions outside of the gaming? Yeah, exactly. So one thing he says, you're not an alcoholic if you have a glass of wine every night. Right. Uh, you're not a gambling addict if you go to Vegas every year. Like, that's right. not a problem. You're drinking a beer right now. Mm -hmm. Why are you drinking the beer? Tastes good. Wanted to drink one. Tastes good. Wanted to drink one. Does it help you relax in any way? Eh, sometimes. That's the reason why I bring it up is because there's something in um, behavioral and uh, behavioral and psychological sciences um, where you can have this idea of a sedative script mm -hmm. versus a, uh, an, an addictive script. Right. Okay. So this is another way that I would like to tease apart this idea of I, I game because it's fun or I game because I'm addicted. Right. Um, so like you said, it, it can't be divorced from the context of what else is happening. Am I gaming so much that I've lost my job and my right. wife is going to leave me and I'm, you know, whatever else. I haven't seen my family in weeks and mm -hmm. I can't stop even though I've tried to. Right. Um, so a sedative is something that you do because it makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're stressed from work and you come home and you have a beer mm -hmm. because it helps you relax, take the edge off, whatever, that doesn't mean you're addicted. Right. Right. Uh, if I come home or like uh, if I come home from a busy day at work and I fire up my Xbox and I play for a few hours and it helps me relax, that's not an addiction. Right. Right. I think some people could think it was because you're using that to kind of take the edge off. Right. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that people use lots of different types of sedatives to help themselves relax. Right. Sure, and it can yeah. be food. It can be exercise. It could be TV. It could be playing video games. It could be sex. It could be right. lots of different things that people do to help themselves relax. Yeah. Uh, so a sedative is what they would say is conditional, which means that it's conditional on the context that you're in, right? Am I stressed okay. out? Mm -hmm. Maybe I have some chocolate, right? Uh, the difference between a sedative script, and I say a script meaning like a behavioral script, I do this thing okay. almost like it's scripted mm -hmm. uh, in life, is that an addictive script is unconditional. So that means, am I stressed out? I have chocolate. Am I feeling good? I have chocolate. Right. Mm -hmm. Another condition could be I'm really bored. I'll play some games. Right. It could be actually it could be an addictive script would say it doesn't matter if I'm bored. I mm -hmm. could be totally engaged in something else and I'd rather be playing games. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so another aspect of it is that sedative scripts versus condition uh, versus um, addictive script is that a sedative script doesn't produce awareness that you're not doing the thing like whatever the addictive thing is. Mm -hmm. Addictions produce awareness that you're not doing a thing. So let's say you're you're addicted to drinking. Mm -hmm. Which I'm not, just to be clear. I'm he not. is. This is an intervention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, 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 he's not. But let's say he was. We're doing this podcast right now. It's pretty mm -hmm. fun to do the podcast, right? Yeah. If you're doing the podcast and you're thinking uh, having a beer afterwards would be nice, mm -hmm. that's great. That's fine. But if you're doing the podcast and you're going, I'm not drinking right now. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that I'm not drinking right now. Anytime you're not doing it, you're aware that you're not doing it. Sure. And that awareness produces a certain amount of distress. Sure. And 
inside you. And you tension, fear, anxiety. I'm not doing the thing. Right. So if it's video game addiction, maybe I'm maybe I'm hanging out with friends. Maybe I was maybe I was drinking. Maybe you know, whatever I'm doing, and the whole time I'm going, I'm not playing games right now. It sounds kind of similar to like OCD tendencies. Like, I, yeah, uh, it, it kind so? of it 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 overwhelms your entire being right. that you're not doing this particular tick or mm-hmm. this particular thing. It's an intrusive thought, yeah, in it, some and ways, it yeah. creates anxiety because right. you're not doing it. You're not doing the thing, right? Right. I, I I agree that as far as that connection goes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it over it, it takes over your mind in some ways, mm-hmm. and so it produces what they call awareness, which is I'm aware that I'm not doing the addictive thing, and it's stressing me out. Hmm. Another yeah. thing that is uh, noted in addictive scripts is that they're self-fulfilling prophecies. So let's say, uh, let's say it's drinking. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that I'm not drinking. It's stressing me out that I'm not drinking. And I bet if I could just have a drink, I would feel better. Reinforcing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so then you're stressed, you're stressed, you're stressed. You finally get a drink. And what, do you, what does it do? You feel better. Yeah. So it re- like you said, it's like a positive feedback loop. It reinforces itself yeah. by producing this this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I would go further to say that, like, if you have an addiction, like, if you're if you have a sedative thing, you can do a lot of different things that are sedatives. Yeah. So, like, for instance, I like chocolate. I mm-hmm. could eat chocolate. I could uh, play basketball. I could play video games. I could have a nice conversation with my wife on a walk. I could eat some nice food. I could do a lot of different things that help me feel better and help me de-stress. Right. If I go to one of those things unconditionally and not having it produces awareness that I don't have it and that awareness produces distress Mm. and then I have the thing and it makes me feel better and I do that whether I'm stressed or happy or bored or engaged, then that's where you're starting to look at something that's, this thing is my life. Right. This thing is taking over my life and that's where a gaming disorder would be classified because you're looking at a solid year Mm -hmm. of your work your social life, your family life, all things besides gaming are at a loss. You're taking a loss in every other aspect of your life so that you can game right. at, at unhealthy amounts. Right. And that unhealthy amount is totally contextual right? because it could be four hours a week. <clears throat> it could be 12 hours a day. Right. And this is why I think actually this, um, this classification and the diagnosis is really... Uh, is actually really good. Sure. The diagnosis is very flexible. Right. You know, and it, and it's a long period of time. It's not saying over the past week did you play 12 hours a day. Right. So like every three months for a weekend, I'll play 12 hours a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's fine. And especially if like, hey, your family's doing well and your work is doing, going well. All mm-hmm. those things are fine. You could play 12 hours a day every weekend for a whole, whole year mm-hmm. and no problem. Right. But if I'm playing four hours a day on the weekends and it's causing tons of problems with my family, if I'm neglecting my physical health, mm-hmm. if I'm not doing my work, if I like all those things are failing so that I can do video games a certain period of time, mm-hmm. then that's where the problems come in. Gotcha. So that's kind of the idea here. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So do you think it's, so what's the difference between using the term disorder and addiction? Is it the same term? Why use one over the other? Um, because I think disorder, um, kind of broadens it. And I think um, a lot of people are are having an issue with the term disorder, not necessarily like... Because I think gaming addiction, right. you've actually used the term addiction more than anything. Right. And this while we're, while we've been talking. I, I tend to look at it synonymously, but I, I'm, and I'm not entirely sure why the ICD or the DSM might do it differently. But it, I mean, if you're addicted to substances, they don't call it substance use addiction. They call it substance use abuse disorder. Mm-hmm. So it's... It, 
I'm not entirely sure why they 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 steer away well, from the addiction a, terminology. Well, but that's that what we're that's a more about. specified term, though. Um, I think, right. but disorder, I think, is a more general term. Um, yeah, and I think, um, and I think it could be out there because it may, it may have to do with the connotations of addiction itself. Mm-hmm. But part of what we're talking about is this is non-normative. <clears throat> like when we say normative, it's it's something that's not. Like it's you're you're doing something to such a degree that's creating problems. Okay. Yeah. Because the the medical community and the psychological community, for most part, don't want to put a value judgment on something. What they want to say is, let's look at you and your context. Is this creating problems? Mm-hmm. And if it's creating problems for you and you can't stop, you have a disorder. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so why the why that outrage? Do you think? And I I mean I <laughs> I guess honestly I've seen more outrage from gamers than anybody else. But why yeah. why the big outrage on this classification? This yeah. Making it an official term. Well, because, and I, I think the main reason why is because the terminology itself is okay. problematic. It's not gaming addiction disorder, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think if they did that, maybe it'd be helpful. At a certain point, like I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, it doesn't matter how many times you explain something, people are going to mishear you. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to kind of make peace with the fact. You can try as hard as you want. And I think I do recommend that you try as hard as you can to help people get on the same page with you. But communication is difficult. Mm-hmm. And people hear some ways that like they take their own experience and they apply it to the message that you're sending. Right. So uh, for instance, I was on Facebook the other day and I saw that the VA, Veterans Affairs, mm-hmm. is using video games in some ways to help treat veterans. Yeah. Right. And and it's helpful. For mm-hmm. some of these people, it's really, really helpful. Yeah. I know there's uh, some people I follow on Twitter called Stack Up. Mm-hmm. And they are... Uh, the the CEO of Stack Up is a former uh, Army Ranger, yeah. And he's a, he he streams on Twitch, and he um he has Stack Up, which is like a nonprofit Twitch stream that's that has a bunch of different people that come in, and all the money they raise through that goes to help veterans. Okay, right. So there's these different ways, and and video games have been demonstrated in certain studies to be able to help with certain skills. Yeah, uh, they help improve reaction times. Uh, I know that there's some like papers, and this is a different population, but there's some sure. papers that looked at like people who are on the autism spectrum diagnosis. Uh, spectrum, so that's redundant, but yeah, uh, <laughs> the auti- autism diagnosis spectrum, uh, and they basically reported that because of video games, they're given opportunities to make friends. They're able yeah. to work on so like social skills and as well as like uh, motor skills. Like sure. I'm able to my hand-eye coordination is better. Critical uh, thinking skills. Critical yeah. thinking skills are better. My social skills are better because I'm able to do this with video games. Right. And there's some different um, fMRI magnetic uh, resonance imaging studies. Functional magnetic uh, magnetic resonance imaging, imaging studies got it. that look at um, different areas of brain activation when you're playing video games. Yeah. So one of them, one of them that I reviewed uh, in the past year was looking at people who play action like first person player games uh, find it a little bit easier to problem solve in the context of extraneous stimuli. Sure. So if I'm looking at a screen and I have to identify a certain shape and there's a bunch of things flying around the screen, if I play first-person shooters, I'm probably going to be better or faster at doing that than someone who doesn't play them. That's true. Yeah. Ashton, Ash uh, my wife, she has issues with um, watching me play mm-hmm. first-person shooters because she, she gets motion sickness. Right. She can't focus on one point and, right. and ignore everything else that's going on right. or using the other stuff that's going on in the periphery mm-hmm. as context and helping make decisions quickly. Exactly. So mm-hmm. if you take a fast-paced game like Destiny, you got six people, we're in a raid, you have all these different enemies shooting you, but mm-hmm. we're trying to focus on one goal. Mm-hmm. And people who have been playing video games for a long time have trained themselves to be able to do that. Their yeah. brains have been trained through practice to be able to ignore stimuli that's yeah. 
distracting and focus on a goal. Mm -hmm. So like there are some different things and to bring this back, there's some different ways that video games can help people recover. Sure. Especially if they've gone through some type of physical or mental injury. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the thread that I saw, there are a lot of people who are like, well, this is stupid. Like either because they think video games themselves are stupid yeah. or because they think the VA is putting their attention towards something that isn't, that isn't helpful, which I would disagree with. Yeah. But then some of the, not, not an insignificant amount of comments were saying, yeah, but I thought gaming was a disease now. Right. Right. The, who just said gaming is a disease now? Right. So now VA is pushing a disease on people. Yeah. And the issue with that is like, who has never claimed that gaming is a disease? Yeah. Who did not say that? Right. right? What they said was, if you're playing for 12 months and all these different areas of your life are suffering because of the however much you're playing mm -hmm. and you can't stop, then you have a disorder. Right. Right. But the problem is that it sounds like gaming itself is a disorder. That was my that was my first reaction when I heard right. gaming disorder. It exactly. Makes, it, it sounds like that gaming is a disorder. Right. Instead of saying like gaming addiction disorder, because Something the addiction like that, yeah. to gaming would be the disorder. So right. now that's why or I'm gaming wondering, abuse disorder. Yeah, like, that's, that that's why I'm nice, wondering yeah. why they didn't go with a different name because the name itself is is I mean the first thing they hear is going to be the name, not the definition. I agree. Yeah, and, and I don't know why. Like a, you know. It, it, there were people who were standing up saying, like, it's too soon to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and we can talk more about that for sure, like, when we get right. into, like, the, the problems with this diagnosis in and of itself. Yeah. Um, one of them is that, yeah, the name itself has this connotation that gaming itself is a problem, and that's not true. Right. You know, um, like, one example I saw was, like, if you're, if you're a person dealing with major depressive disorder and you spend 10 hours a day in bed, are mm -hmm. you addicted to your bed? Right. Like, no, like you don't call that bed addiction right. <laughs> or bed disorder. Like, uh, and so it, it, it's tricky. I don't know why they didn't go with it because it, maybe they felt like it wasn't necessary. And, mm -hmm. I, and I don't know. I don't know how many gamers are in psychology, you that's know true. what I'm saying, or, or like the health fields. And part of that's because our society has had a stigma on games for a long time. Right. You know, uh, people I, I know and, and that I love that love me. They still look at games as somewhat as something the kids do. Yep. Like that's and yeah. if you're an adult, if you're thir you're a 33 year old man and you're still playing games, uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, most yeah. uh most of people that are mid to late 30s and up that I tell that I I'm doing a gaming podcast mm -hmm. podcast about video games, they you can tell that they're I have to explain what it actually is right. and what we're actually talking about and um, yeah it's yeah there's still this negative connotation that's or for children taboo mm -hmm. that video games are you know things to be put away as soon as you right become an adult or whatever. yeah yeah air quotes adult. <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> no one can see that <laughs> yeah yeah we don't have any like uh adulthood ceremonies really in america anymore but apparently the one they want to do is like circumcise games yeah. out of your life <laughs> yeah, right. you know, like uh... light candles and then you burn all your games <laughs> yeah. yeah now you are a man go get a job and raise a family yeah, yeah. um <laughs> And that's true. And I've said this on the podcast before. What is inherently mature about watching 22 guys run down a field with a ball? Mm. Nothing. Yeah. But our society has gotten rid of the stigma that watching football and celebrating football and spending thousands of dollars on football and going and watch, like tail, getting up at ungodly hours in the morning to go tailgate a game for 12 or 14 hours in a day and spend however much money. Like that's totally normal. That's yeah. part of adult life. We have no problem with that. Right. But oh, or. I've had this conversation often, and, and this is a generalization, but women, like, uh, there are plenty of women who are gamers that love games that no mm -hmm. need to explain this, but but I've had conversations with women who are like, why would you waste your money on a game? Right. And I would say, you've probably spent 
four or five times as much on clothes this year as I spent on video games. And I've gotten like much more use out of the limited amount of money I spent right. than you did on clothing. And so, and that's, like I said, that's a very specific subset of women. Sure. There are plenty of women gamers and there are plenty of women who have no problem with games. Mm -hmm. But I've had those conversations personally with people where it's like, I'm trying to help you understand there's nothing wrong with this hobby. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says it should be only children. Right. Right. You know, it's not like I'm a brony. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are weird. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to cut this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, half our, of our listeners are our, our bro yeah, our brony population. Uh, uh, what is it? Demographic is really gonna hate us. Yeah. No, I'm just saying it, it's socially constructed. Yeah, right. Is this idea that video games are for children, or that it's weird for adults to play them? Mm -hmm. uh, and that means that it's not set in stone. It's not objective. It's not a rule that everyone has to follow, and it will change over time. It is changing over time. Yeah. So the problem with the name is that it doesn't really help in that fight. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. No. Okay, so I guess what are the benefits of making this an actual diagnosis, gaming disorder diagnosis? So I think one of the things that will be really a benefit to this are that once there's an official diagnosis, like more recognition to a problem creates the opportunity to really address it. Okay. So I guarantee there are people out there who are addicted to video games. Sure. Yeah. I've been addicted to video games at different times in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm also kind of a big proponent that everyone's addicted to something. Uh, most times in your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's something to be managing and working on. Um, so the reason why I bring that up is to say, it, we talk about addiction in like hushed tones. Yeah. And I think addiction is something that can take a lot of different forms. Mm -hmm. It can be a, it can be an actual drug. It can be a chemical. It can be a process, like a thing you do. Uh, it can look a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, and a good thing about it is that like for a long time, people dealt with anxiety and depression and were told to get over it. Mm -hmm. Or were told that it, they were just making up the problem in their own head or something like that. So once we understood it and we were able to put a name on it, yeah. we're able to really study it. So that's one thing that would be helpful. Like I think we can, with the addiction diagnosis, we can fund more research that goes to actually study what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think also people who really are dealing with the addiction, if there's an official diagnosis for it now, it's much more easy to get funding. Uh, I mean, um, insurance. Uh, backing up treatment. So if you if yeah. you really are addicted to video games and you go to a therapist or a psychologist for help, now they can say, well, it's not in the DSM in America, but like there's an ICD diagnosis, which means maybe we can actually get treatment for you, and it maybe not maybe it's not something you can afford normally, and mm -hmm. now you can because there be I, mean, I don't know if there's specifically insurance right now set up for it, but having the diagnosis in place is key. So when I worked in mental <clears> health counseling or therapy um when i was in my master's program a lot of the funding that we got we, we got to be able to work with these low-income families specifically came from them having an official diagnosis if they didn't right. have an official diagnosis it was very hard for them to get medicaid or medicare funding sure to be able to cover their treatment so these people who are especially people who are living in like low-income neighborhoods or lots of adversity they couldn't get the mental health treatment that they needed without a diagnosis right so it's like um, the first step is admitting there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Now we can take more steps to, to right. fixing the issue. Right. And so I think having a name for it, putting it out there is helpful in some ways, mm -hmm. but there could be some problems with it too. Yeah. Um, so one of the things are that people who have been studying this, 
they think there's some issues with having this in the first place because for different reasons. First off, uh, gaming is not this technology is not a drug. Yeah. So like some of the ways that addiction is talked about is that like video games like uh, activate the pleasure center of your brain, uh, like cocaine or methamphetamines or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the tricks is that yes, that's true. Uh, so does everything. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, if something right. is enjoyable, it's it's producing dopamine in your brain. Right. So like eating food produces dopamine in your brain. Uh, having sex produces dopamine. Uh, right. Having a, an enjoyable conversation with someone produces dopamine. Playing yeah. video games. Uh, so like a baseline, like so let's say that you're just like you're chugging along regular day. Your brain is producing a certain amount of dopamine. Yeah. Uh, food increases it by about fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games increases it by about 75%. Sex increases it by about 100%, Mm -hmm. right? So you're doubling the amount of dopamine production if you're having sex, like compared to like just normal walking around day. Mm -hmm. Cocaine increases it by 350%. Yeah. Right? So compare video games, 75% increase to 350% increase. And an amphetamine produces it, uh, increases it by 900%. Right. So (laughs) it's not the same thing as like, cocaine or methamphetamine or something like that that's that is triggering the dopamine production centers of your brain in a really heavy way so there's not the same like chemical hook experience with video games as something like that it's well it's not the it's not the same thing we're not talking about uh, games creating a chemical imbalance in your brain it's more of like you're you're latching onto it in a way that's creating a feedback loop um so just like you were talking about earlier where um, I'm gaming and I'm really enjoying it, but then when I'm not gaming, I don't enjoy anything else and I don't want to do anything else I'm but d- game. Yeah, and so there's this kind of reinforcement. Exactly. Rather than like it's creating a, a 300% a chemical increase. Com- yeah. yeah. Uh, which is the same thing with like food or sex or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and th- this is where I think it's um, it's important to talk about some ideas about where addiction comes from in the first place. Okay. Excuse me. So I think there is some truth to the chemical hook thing, right? Because if your brain, if you if you somehow get injected with an amphetamine and your brain produces 900% more dopamine, your life could be pretty great and you've probably never felt that good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And your brain, there are certain aspects of your body that say, I want that again. Sure. Right? And depending on the drug, the chemical hook could be stronger. Uh, But the idea that we have chemical hooks that produce um, addiction is from research that is, I want to say, around 100 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact name of the scientist. But he would take a rat and he'd put him in a cage. And the rat, he would give the rat regular water. And he'd give the uh, rat water that had cocaine or um, heroin in it. Sure. All the time, every single rat, they would choose the cocaine or heroin water to the point where they would overdose and die. Mm. Right? So that sucks. The rats would die. And that's this idea of like, if you're in a cage, if you're in a cage and you have access to drugs, you'll choose drugs. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone else came along. I think probably 50, 60, 70 years later. So I think this is in the seventies or eighties. I can't remember exactly when it was. And they said, uh, "That's interesting, but let's. What, what if we change the cage? Right. Mm. So let's take the rat and we'll put him in a cage with uh, tons of food." Uh, tunnels that they can run around in, wheels they can run around in, lots of other rats Mm. so they can have social connection, they can have sex, they can do lots of things that rats do and they have tons of other rats with them and most of those rats never chose the cocaine water or the heroin water. They chose the regular water and they certainly didn't choose the cocaine water and like repetitive, ignoring every other thing uh, 
uh, ways, like, right. and they didn't overdose on it, right? So you, the idea there was it's not about what's in the water, it's about what the cage is like. Everything else is going on. Exactly. Right. So a lot of people, um, so there's just an example. Uh, a movie came out uh, from Amazon, all right, th through Amazon called Beautiful Boy. It's yeah. got Steve Carell and um, I'm blanking on his name right now. This kid, I, he's like a, he's a he's like a teenager. He's a crazy good actor. Um, I can't remember his name at the moment. But anyway, th they're portraying the story of Nick and David's chef. Nick was like the father, and David was his son. And his son got hooked on amphetamines. Mm -hmm. right? He was using drugs and alcohol from a young age, but then he he really got, he got hooked on meth, and it really took over his life for a long time. Mm -hmm. He had a pretty good life, right? From the outside, you could tell he's got a loving family. He's got a supportive father. His father stuck with him throughout all of his addiction, loved him, kept on kept on trying to help him as best as he could. He didn't fund his addiction or things like that, mm -hmm. but he was there. He, he didn't disconnect from his son. Um, and it come to find out that David had undiagnosed bipolar, mm. right? So all his life, he's dealing with fits, uh, not fits, but like um, periods of depression followed by periods of like mania, mm -hmm. uh, or which it, I think can be similar to anxiety in some ways. And he didn't know how to manage that. And so he, he took drugs, right? And those drugs made him feel better, gotcha. right? So if you look at it in the context of his cage, he had some really nice things, but he also had some really unpleasant chemical experiences happening in his body that he didn't know how to manage or right. discuss. And so... He used drugs to help himself feel better. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if you look at that in the context of a cage of everybody, mm -hmm. uh, most people don't choose addictive processes if they feel like they have great relationships with their family, if they feel like they have really satisfying work, if they, you know, if they feel like they have opportunities to be able to satisfy themselves in multitudes of ways, which is like the sedation effect we talked about earlier. Right. So I could choose exercise, I could choose chocolate, I could choose a beer, I could choose video games, I could choose talking with my wife, I could choose, yeah, I could choose a lot of different things. Yeah. Because those things are nice and good. Um, or if I don't know how to manage the stress in my life, mm -hmm. I may choose something else that manages it for me. So that that chemical dependence is ba is a reaction to circumstance, negative circumstance. In a lot of ways, right. yeah. So a lot of people choose addictive substances or processes because it produces it produces positive feelings or it reduces the impact of negative feelings right. that they don't know how to manage in other ways. Gotcha. So a lot of what we would say here is that one of the one of the debunking of a myth of video game addiction is that some of these some of these um, scholars are saying we've we've labeled gaming disorder, and the problem is not gaming. It's that these people are dealing with some other type of mental health difficulty. Sure. Maybe they have major depression. Maybe they have anxiety. Maybe they have something else going on, mm -hmm. and they're choosing to manage it through video games. Right. So the problem with this di disorder diagnosis is that you might start treating game disorder. Mm -hmm. But you're not treating the root cause of the problem. Right. You're 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 treating a um, a symptom <laughs> right. of the real thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like instead of like if you come in for treatment and you're addicted to drugs, mm -hmm. like one person might just treat the addiction to drugs. Right. But that's not changing the cage. Mm -hmm. The cage may still suck. Right. If the cage still sucks, it's gonna be way harder to get to stop using drugs. Right. Um, so an example of this would be I think it was Portugal. No, 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 not Portugal. It was um it was a European country. I think it was um I'm blanking on it right now. I'm sorry. It's a European country. They used lots of punitive uh, like punishments for people who were using drugs, right? Tons of people are using drugs in their country. It was a huge problem. And one of the things they did was they hired a panel of experts to really study the problem and mm -hmm. to try and come up with a solution. 
And so after uh, after some study and research, these people came back and said, okay, we need to completely change the way we handle this, right? And so one of the things that they did was say, we need to take all the funding that we have for, for penalizing drug use, and we need to funnel all of that money into helping people who are addicts find a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Right. So right, and so one thing they did was they legalized all drugs, every drug they legalized. Yeah. And then they took all this money and they used it to do things like incentivize jobs for yeah. people who were dealing with addiction. So one thing they said was like, if you'll hire this person, like when they're ready, like not just taking a guy right off the street and then putting them in a job, right. but like getting them some treatment. And then when they were at a good place, say, if you'll hire this person, we'll pay his salary for half a year. Right. Or we'll pay half a salary for a full year, something like that. So it's financially incentivizing to companies, mm -hmm. and it helps these people get a job. So it's something that they can use to help improve their cage. Right. Right, right. And so the idea was, and so like, I can't remember how many years it's been since they did that, but I think it was like 10 years or something like that when they kind of looked at the numbers again. Drug use was, drug abuse was down by 50 percent wow yeah right and so this idea comes in if you're not if you're just treating the symptom and you're not addressing the underlying problem mm -hmm. then the symptom is probably going to come back right it may not look the same maybe you get rid of gaming disorder but you you start drinking or i don't know like it could be a lot of different things right uh to manage the problem and if you're not managing the real problem the source of the problem then you can't deal with the thing that's coming up on the surface that's really interesting that kind of brings about like i've never i knew support groups were a good idea but i never yeah. understood why but it kind of it goes back to that where it's yeah. like you're creating this bonding positive experience and people yes. look forward to that oh this person's gone through what i've gone through you're creating companionship yes uh, uh, friendships there yep. and that's another positive experience for them to latch on to rather Absolutely. than going back to the addiction yeah um so, i mean yeah. you're hitting the nail on the head like yeah. this there's a ted talk where some of this information i've got from i can't remember exactly what it is but um at the end of the video he says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety the opposite of addiction is connection right and so if you're able to improve the lives of people who are dealing with addiction. And I did this in therapy with some people. Mm -hmm. Like they came in, they had some kind of addiction and I barely talked about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would talk about the fact that they, they, they couldn't manage conflict or stress with sure. other people. And then my challenge to them would be doing that. And once they started dealing with that, what do you know? They're not using their addictive process as much, right. you know? And it doesn't work, it's not, it's not like one size fits all. Like sure. there's lots of different ways to treat people. But one thing I think is certain, one thing I think is sure across the board uh, are generally true enough is to say that if you only focus on the addictive symptom that's coming out, you yeah. try and treat that, you're only dealing with, you're dealing with the tip of the iceberg. That's true. There's the more positives that are going on in your life, the the less you would want to jeopardize that. Yeah. But the, also the more it reinforces latching onto those other positive things rather than the addiction. Right. Um, so you get to this point to where you feel supported by your family, by your friends, you're right. having good social interactions, you're finding other like positive experiences yes. in the world. Um, like there's no point in going back to that, right. that addiction, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, sure. so an another negative, um, I think that I've seen a lot about creating this gaming disorder as a, as an official diagnosis is that, um, this might be a little bit conspiracy theory, but like big pharma, you know, they can, they, hmm. they can benefit hugely from this disorder, you know, maybe only two to 3% of the world might actually have this official, um, officially be truly have right. this diagnosis. But then, you know, big pharma can diagnose 10% and make billions of dollars every year. 
Just on yeah, some maybe so. So like, I don't really don't know enough about that to know, and uh, I don't know a whole lot about medication used to treat addictive uh, behaviors or mm-hmm. processes or things like that. Um, right. Most of what I know about treatment comes from other behaviors or processes, or like mm-hmm. you said, support groups where you can develop sure. connections and things like that. Um, cog- I, I, cognitive behavioral therapy is another right. example, but yeah. I don't see it to stretch that, let's say, you know, you're playing, you, you're, I'm going to diagnose you because you seem like you're, you're, you have depression. Right. That's why you lean towards video games because you want to get away from your real life. Sure. So we're going to diagnose you as, as depressed and we're going to prescribe you this medicine to help yeah. you with the chemical imbalance to, right. you know, um, so I, I've seen that uh, that thrown around a little bit, whether there's um, you know any weight to that or not. I, I can see it being a thing or being something that's being that could be taken advantage yeah. of. We need to flash the Illuminati symbol right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're not doing video, so <laughs> it's <laughs> background. He's gonna have the Illuminati. Right. I mean, I I I, I would say if, I think it's naive to assume that a company is not paying attention to that. Yeah, I mean. Um, they they absolutely are, but whether or not they're in cahoots with who or whatever, I don't know. Yeah. I think I think a lot of it comes down to um, video games have just become much more well known in society, Mainstream. especially in the past couple. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's going to happen, especially with Ninja. You know, and his notoriety mm-hmm. has surpassed that of any gamer before him. Right. I, I would argue. I mean, he was in a commercial with like professional athletes. Um, so people know who Ninja is. Mm-hmm. He's on, he's been on the news, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of paving the path for people to start looking at video games in a more mainstream light. Mainstream yeah. light. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I was researching for that class I taught on addictions and I was looking at um, what, what they call Fortnite widows, you know, where it's <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I think... I think like 200 divorces last year in England were like cited Fortnite as one of the problems. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it, it's saying it's saying video games are a problem when there's a whole context of things that are happening. Sure. Like, it, were those marriages really that strong to begin with? Um, <laughs> I would argue probably not. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I don't want to overgeneralize. There could be some great relationships that are suffering because of video game addiction, and maybe the person who's addicted really doesn't know how to stop but wants to. Sure. Um, that being said, I think most people who are in satisfying relationships, who have lots of different way, sedative uh, uh, outlets, yeah. whatever they may be, and have a really nice cage, are not typically going after addictive processes or things, or sure. are, are trying are trying to at least fight and manage that because of the things that they have in life that they really value and care about. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not trying to say that people who are addicts or have addictions don't have things in their life they care about. Yeah. I would say that there's some aspect of their life that they find very difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. And this thing that they found helps in a yeah. way that others don't right. at the moment. Um, and video games can be that thing. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy video games. Of course, I mean, we're doing this podcast yeah. because we enjoy video games. We Absolutely. see a lot of benefit from it, being able to have... I mean, the biggest thing is probably the social aspect of it, um, yeah. that and storytelling. Uh, we we thoroughly enjoy video games, but yeah, there. I mean, there have been times where you know, instead of w- wanting to go out, I've wanted to stay in and play a video game. Absolutely, but me too. There's you know, there's I think the big thing for people to kind of take away is like, 
for the most part, this probably, this diagnosis probably isn't you. If you're listening to this, it probably isn't you. Yeah. But there needs to be context. So yeah. before there's this big, huge outrage and reaction, think about like, well, am, am I, you know, am I shirking all my other responsibilities? Right. Are you not paying attention to anything else that's going on in your life? Are you yeah. wanting to play video games rather than go eat lunch or... Um, go to work. Yeah. Well, that might not. If your if your job sucks, maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. you do. But, uh, I but, would usually rather play video games than do my work. Yeah. But I do my work. Right. And, yeah, and I, I think part of it too is like if you're dealing with it, part of it would say it's it's okay to talk about. Find somebody that you would that you trust. Yeah. And talk to them. Mm-hmm. Like let them know that this is something you're concerned about. Yeah. Am I addicted to this? And maybe you are. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something that you need to maybe you need to go talk to somebody and figure out some aspect of your life that could be improved. Because often the problem with video games is or the problem with video uh, 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 addictions is that they don't ever solve the problem. Mm-hmm. They just ignore it for a while. Right. And then when you come back to the thing, it's just as bad as it was. But you have not been have not been equipping yourself to address it more effectively. Mm-hmm. You've been managing the distress that you feel because of it. Yeah. Until it's time to deal with it again. Right. And that doesn't get any better until it until it gets better. Until something some steps are made to to deal with it. And so talk to a friend if you feel like this might be you. Mm-hmm. Talk to someone you trust. Explain the situation. Maybe go see a therapist. Maybe go meet in a support group. Whatever you need to do, yeah. so that this doesn't take over your life. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the thing. I mean, this is that's where it becomes a problem. If for twelve months, your work and your social life and your romantic life and all those things have been in your physical health have all been suffering, so you could play games. Mm-hmm. You're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, you know that's true. Yeah, yeah. Talk to someone. That's that's the big thing about it. Is like. When you um, when you have an issue and you try to you just sit there and let it fester and then you try to cover it with something else that's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean I don't want to OCD is not the same thing but in the same way the way that you treat OCD is to let that person feel that anxiety and let them know that it's okay to feel that anxiety because that's the big thing about OCD is like you're doing these ticks to relieve that anxiety. Right. And then constantly doing that over and over and over again reinforces that anxiety like feeling anxiety is bad it's not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. it's just learning how to cope with that anxiety is is the solution right and so um and i want to be clear like we're not we're not mental health professionals like i've been trained as a therapist i've done therapy i don't do it now i'm not a licensed professional we're not trying to assign treatment in any way but Mm -hmm. if you do look at gold standard treatments for most things especially like ocd or anxiety a lot of it does have to do with Appropriate amounts of exposure and developing tolerance. Yes, coping, coping with it. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah, uh, and that's a big thing with with this is like if if you're trying not to cope with your life by playing video games, or by any sort of addictive tendency thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're that's that's the issue. Right. Um, deal with it. Deal with it head on. Talk to someone. Get and help. And it can get better. And it's it's not a bad thing to talk about it. No. Um, that's the that's the whole thing about being human is that we're all flawed. Yeah. Uh, and that's so. True. So talk to someone. Um, and uh, yeah, if you, um, you got anything else that you want to? Yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about it because uh, yeah. one of the problems with this is that it's brought gaming into a negative light, uh, which if <laughs> I don't think the media needed any help with that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, if we're if we're not hearing about how video games are an addiction, we're hearing about how video games make people violent, or yeah. or like if you're a gamer, you live in your mom's basement, you have no girlfriend or whatever. It's like okay, um, there are lots of different kinds of gamers, so lots of people dealing with different things. But one thing I really wanted to highlight is this push for gaming does good. Right. So recently, there was something called the Guardian Con yeah. Charity Stream Marathon. Uh, and what that was was seven days straight, 24 hours a day, six streamers every day taking four-hour blocks. They don't have gaming disorder. I would argue that they don't. <laughs> Some of them might, but I don't know. Potentially, yeah. Okay. But they also do it for their job, so it's not really negatively influencing their life. Right. <laughs> These are people who are full-time streamers, right? Yeah. And what they did was they took four hours out of out of a day for seven days, and they raised money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with St. Jude, it's an incredible research hospital that works with children and being diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. They work with a certain number every year, and they their families never receive a bill for mm-hmm. anything. They they take care of transportation. They take care of groceries. They take care of housing. They help the kids keep up with their education. They treat them completely for free. Uh, it costs $32 a second to run this place. $2.8 million a day to run this place because of the work that they're doing and because the families they work with never receive a single bill for what mm-hmm. they're doing, right? They also publish all their research for free. So if they have this research on stuff that's helping save kids' lives or helping cure a, 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 a disease, they just put it out there so yeah. that other people can use it. It's not behind a paywall. That, anyway, it's incredible, right? Yeah. So Guardian Con, they chose this... Um, charity years ago as, as something that they want to raise money for and it, it ended recently and they raised so far this year they've raised 3.7 7, mm-hmm. 3.7 million dollars yeah a bunch of nerd gamers who are all apparently living in their mom's basements and are terribly violent <laughs> right if you listen to the media that's what that's the picture you're getting yeah. these people have no social skills they're they're turning our you know our kids are addicts now yeah. or blah 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 and that may be that that is happening in some situations, but there are tons of people who are using gaming as a vehicle to do good. Yeah, and uh, it's really incredible. And so I would highly encourage you to check out St. Jude. I would highly encourage you to check out Guardian Con. Yeah. there's other things like Awesome Games Done Quick that have been raising money for charity for years. Child's Play, uh, Child yeah, Child Play Extra Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about that Stack Up um, stream or, or charity that works with veterans. Yeah. Like, there's lots of really incredible work being done through video games as a medium. Yeah. Uh, and, like, stuff that you could argue is, like, pretty objectively good. Like, yeah. helping cure kids from cancer, running running the research hospital for a day. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, and the work that they're doing is amazing. Um, and so, a gaming can do good. Gamers Absolutely. do good. Run it on the regular. So, mm-hmm. if you receive something in the news, just remember that it, it's... it's, a, it's a, don't take anything without context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do the research. Look it up. Yeah. Um, that's that's the first thing when you hear, you know, that was a big thing. Gaming disorder was the title for a lot of articles and a lot of YouTube videos and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's it's just a way to, to, to reel you in. But you need to look at the context, you know, do the research, figure out what it actually means. Um, yeah. It's, it's not a bad thing inherently, but absolutely find out what, what it's about same thing with anything here about gaming like is yeah. is um you know it, it can be very very good for you're doing research on 
uh, adolescence, like video games affecting adolescence. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is, like, you want to think, and what you hear in the media is that it's melting kids' brains (laughs) and it's, you know, it's causing kids to have low social skills and all that kind of stuff. But, like, you know, do the research. You see something like that, check it out. Read that article and then go read 10 other articles about it and find out for yourself what it actually means. And then listen to this podcast, too, because, um, you know, we have uh, very truthful uh, thoughts about it too. <laughs> we try to be as honest as possible. Yeah, but you know that's the thing. Do you do you? And if you could see us, we have trustworthy faces. Do, you, do your research. <laughs> I mean, everything that you that we've talked about in this podcast, like research it. Like, yeah. I mean, look look it up and check fact check us because you know we're we're trying we're to dudes. do research we're just too. Your dudes, yeah. yeah, we're trying to trying to just talk about our opinions about it and yeah. we could be wrong too but that's the thing like do your research find out more about it before going on twitter and having a twitter rant yeah um because we can only benefit for us all just learning more about stuff like this and, yeah i agree and you know other parts of, of video games so. Yeah. so let us know what do you what do you think about the who decision the icd decision to create gaming disorder mm-hmm. uh do you see it as a good thing as a bad thing what are some potential problems or, or benefits you might see there yeah um how is it affecting you like uh did, did you have the same experience nick did where he heard it and he thought well that kind of sucks like yeah. they're just saying gaming is a disorder you yeah. know um let us know uh, where can we find it? where can they find us on Twitter. Uh, we're at the EG Podcast. Same thing on Instagram, but Twitter is probably where we're going to be. And right. um, you can tweet at me at Nick J Wells. And you can uh, tweet at me at Skitch Two Five Six. I'm also on Twitch TV backslash Skitch Two Five Six. Yeah, talk to us, yep. uh, comment, and, and let us know what you're thinking, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have a conversation about it. Yeah, y'all take care. All right, bye.